everyone. Happy Monday and welcome back to The Joy Factor, a podcast by Grace Bible Church. I'm your host, Christy Garland, and today we are continuing our series, Ask a Pastor, where we're asking different pastors questions submitted by you. So if you have any questions, thoughts, or comments, please feel free to email us at thejoyfactor at gbcacron.org. So for today's podcast, we are going to be answering a very important question, which is just how can I help my kids fall in love with Jesus? And this is such a big topic, especially for those of us who have kids and who are expecting kids, (laughs) something really important to think about. So yeah, I'm very happy to welcome Pastor Stephen back on the podcast today. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, again. I'm so, so excited to be here. And um, I have a particular interest in the answer to this question because I have four little ones myself. So um, I'm trying to find the answers to this question and live them out, honestly. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no, and it's great even just in researching and looking at the answers to some of these questions and looking for this podcast. It's like, oh, there's so much that so much to learn and so much that we can still be learning all the time so absolutely yeah it's awesome so how would you begin to answer this question well so i actually i've been thinking about this and uh i prayed about it i want to share scripture to start this morning so Mm -hmm. this is ezekiel 18 um one through four and it's kind of i'll warn you it's an ezekiel so (laughs) it's going to be worded a little different but it says this the word of the lord came to me what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of israel The fathers eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. It goes on to say in verse 3, As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord your God. You will no longer use this proverb in Israel. Look, every life belongs to me. The life of the father is like the life of the son. Both belong to me. The person who sins is the one who will die now i know that that passage it it seems a bit like whoa that's a it's a strong passage but this is a a freeing if you if you continue to read through ezekiel chapter 18 it's kind of a freeing thing and as we're answering this question about how can i help my kids fall in love with jesus that that question can be intimidating Mm -hmm. because i think maybe you're listening to this and you're your kids are maybe a tad older and you feel like maybe you're like, oh, man, I kind of I feel like I'm failing at this. Or maybe you've done everything you can to to have your kids fall in love with Jesus and you're not seeing the results yeah. that you want to see. Um, or maybe you're like me. You grew up in a home like my, my story includes a father figure that I did not want to end up being like. This passage, ultimately, what it, what it boils down to is that Every individual is responsible for their own relationship with God and how they respond to God in obedience. And yeah. so all that we're, what we're going to be sharing with you, at the end of the day, it is still your child's responsibility to trust Jesus. That being said, we can do a lot of practical things to help that, that journey along. But I guess what I'm trying to free people from is this sense of failure. Right. Like, you know, is your efforts in trying to help your kid follow and love Jesus – you, you can't force that. Right. And at the end of the day, there's no one-size-fits-all formula no. that is going to guarantee your child your child's salvation because nope. you you literally have no... I mean, there's things you can do to definitely help, yep. but that's not something that you're in control of. That is completely up to God and them making the decision themselves. So For sure. And, and the fact that you're listening to this podcast is, is at least 
it shows that you have a heart to answer this question yourself. And so we want to we want to be like cheerleaders for you, encouraging you uh, to to put this into practice. Whether like Christy said, you're in the middle of your parenting endeavors, like I am, or if you're expecting, like she is, and excited about that. Okay. The the idea that um, we want to remove this sense of oh it's too late or oh there's this this or did I fail? Am I going to fail? <clears throat> and ultimately just allow you to walk in the freedom that God wants you to walk in. Right, um, right. And as I, you do your best. <laughs> yeah, and I think that if anyone asked this question or is even listening to this podcast right now, it probably means that your heart is in the right place, yes. which is the first step, and that's so important because the fact that you care about whether your kids do or don't love Jesus is the first step to creating an environment in your home and in your life and your family where it creates this... I don't know, it kind of makes it easy for them to want to love Jesus. So if you want that, that's that's a great first step for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. That being said, do we want to jump into some of these uh, practical tips and, and thoughts about um, how we can help our kids fall in love with Jesus? <laughs> Yeah. And so we, we have 11 today. So really it's like 10 and then you get a freebie. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I love freebies here. But before we jump in, I do want to mention a resource. And um, there, so I'm, as you know, I'm, I'm both a parent. So the oldest of my children is eight. So I'm not that far into the, the journey, um, but certainly have some years under my belt. And then I've also been a student pastor for it'll be let's see it'll be 13 years this november so like actually i think like today believe it or not really? oh no no oh, not today awesome. like tomorrow okay. the first is tomorrow the, no two days from now the first yeah. um as you're listening to this by then i will have already been right <laughs> for, for for 13 years but um one of the things that i've done over the years is just read books about hey what is what is what are trends that we see in in kids staying in the faith, right? So you've you've raised your kid up in church, you've tried to teach them about Christ, you've taught them this is how you follow Christ in obedience. What are some trends that that were effective, right? And mm-hmm. so recently I have been reading a book called Sticky Faith by Chap Clark and Kara Powell, and I want to recommend the book to you. Now I'll go ahead and say, I haven't finished the book, but so far everything I've read is so great. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just a resource, another thing you can do on top of some of these practical tips um, that will help you. And the whole book, the idea of Sticky Faith, is is this concept of, um, you know, what can we do to help the faith that we hold so dear, the faith in Jesus, stick yeah, so that it remains and it lasts um, through the more formidable years of your kid's life, right? High school, college, the early years where they're making a lot of really big decisions that will impact their future. So right. the, the book is a great book. So I just wanted to get that out of the way before I forgot. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds really good. Sure. I'm going to have to look into that myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you said we have 11 practical tips. That's right. Let's get started with some of those. Okay, what yeah. Is, what's the first one? <laughs> so the first is is to model God's truth, right? Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, first you have to establish God's word being a priority, something that's valuable, um, that God's word is trustworthy, right? It's not antiquated. It's right. not irrelevant. It is the life hack right. <laughs> for for godly living and, and modeling, not just not just teaching your kids, hey, the Bible is a good book or a good resource, but but both teaching and living in such a way that you 
champion God's word as being what it is. It's God's word. Yeah. His very word to us, right? Yeah. And I think with kids, the one thing that we know about children or kids is that they will copy what they see their parents doing. Oh, so true. If you, I don't know, even just in my family, like my dad loves watching rugby. And so my brother grew up and he loves watching rugby. And just, I don't know, just the, the kind of things that happen in families where a parent loves doing something or is always doing something, almost always the children will at least at some point in their life, copy that and kind of imitate it. So if as parents, we are modeling God's truth in our lives and reading the Bible and showing kids what that looks like and how to do that, it's definitely going to be more likely that they're going to follow in that example, as opposed to if we're never doing that or if we're not holding God's word as important and like the ultimate authority in our lives. So, so true. Uh, you know what? As you say that, um, I just two weeks ago, I kid you not. Um, so... I heard this podcast. I want to say it was like the lead singer of a band talking uh-huh. about he was reading his Bible on his phone and um, a lot. And then his kids would see him reading his Bible on his phone. And and he was like, man, all they see me doing is looking at my phone. So yeah. he purchased a, a Bible and he started – he still was reading the Bible, right? He was doing nothing wrong. He was reading the Bible on his phone. Right. Um, but he purchased a physical Bible, right? And then – and and he he began reading it around the at the same time that he would normally be on his phone. Um, and I remember hearing that, being convicted, because I had the same thing. Like I'm I'm into electronics, so a lot of my Bible reading plan was on my phone, and so on and so forth. So just two weeks ago, um, I took the guy's advice. Well, not two weeks ago. I did this. I did this like half a year ago. I took the guy's advice and I bought a Bible. I just went on Amazon, found the cheapest large print leather Bible I could find. It was like eight bucks. Um, and, and so, and it's my, it's literally my morning reading Bible. I don't, I leave it in the same spot every single day. So when I get up, I read it instead of being on my phone. Well, the other day, Azariah, he's my um, oldest son, he's four. He was eating breakfast and I was still kind of studying some of the passage that I was reading that morning. And he, he was paying attention to me and he was eating his cereal and he disappeared into the other room. He found a Bible. He came to the table Put his put his little Bible down and was imitating me, and oh I thought, gosh. oh, how great is that? that? Is so you know? <laughs> cool. That must have like warmed your heart so much. It, it did because I was like, look, the guy's advice. This lead singer, I can't remember the band. I want to say it was like for King and Country. Um, yeah. It, it it was like, oh wow, his advice was so true. Like they'll imitate, and it was like, I'm so glad he didn't go get an electronic, like a fake phone, and sit there and pretend. Right. He was he was purposely choosing a Bible. And so, again, that's just like a small example. But that's some we can, like you said, we can show our our interest in in, in our um, priority of God's word by by reading it and yeah. in front of them and doing yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. And I think another part of um, like modeling God's truth in our lives is showing our kids that our faith is relevant and it's applicable when we're dealing with like real world real world situations oh, so, true. so like in our i don't know in our personal choices in our careers in our in our relationships in our works and our kids know that we're maybe struggling with something showing them that we are praying through our decisions reading the bible and actually applying what we're reading to our real life situations is going to be impactful for oh, our so, kids yeah um because a lot of times i think especially especially kids who don't have that modeled can view the Bible as just this old outdated book that's not really relevant to us anymore. And I think if you're showing them that 
it's it's helpful for you in your life and in your decisions and you if you have a tough decision to make they see you going back and reading the bible and like asking god for help that's going to make a difference to them and how they view the bible oh, so. That's so yeah that's so so true yeah sometimes modeling it for them is better than just telling them it's like actions speak louder than words that whole thing so oh yeah i mean yeah absolutely i mean kids pick up more on your <laughs> actions than they do any of your lectures right right <laughs> for sure for sure yeah yeah so another practical uh way that you can help your kids fall in love with jesus is show them how much you love them and others by your life right and mm -hmm. um so first okay. corinthians this passage about love it's it's it, I mean, we, you know, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. Mm -hmm. um, it is not self-serving, right? So it goes on and on about all these characteristics of love. One of the things you, know, you don't see in that um, passage is that love is just this feeling, right? Yes. Obviously, we, we can understand how love can be a feeling, but it's more action-oriented. It, it, it has characteristics. It's, right. And so us loving our kids by showing them kindness, being patient, um, showing them that love is more about serving someone than getting something out of somebody. Um, it's, it's so helpful in, in helping them fall in love with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I think when we love the people around us and when we love our children well, we are tangibly showing them some of the love of Christ. Oh, yeah. And I think if, if we're showing them how much Jesus loves them, that's going to in turn make them loving Jesus so much more appealing because if you know that somebody loves you, you're way more inclined to love them back rather than if if it's just this random person in the sky or some random like God that you don't you don't know and you don't feel love from. Like and as parents, I think we can tangibly show our kids the love of Christ um, and kind of use that to help them. Yeah, and love I think Jesus in return. <laughs> you bring up a good point. Like it, so. Our loving our kids is is us being the hands and feet of Jesus to them. Right. Because you can talk about, it's like we we in our home talk about how much God loves us. Like God loves us like a father loves us. And and so I, we realized that we could say all those things and then through our actions deny, like almost deny Christ or or bring him into suspicion for our for our children because we're not showing um like like the way the way I love to say this is like sometimes you are the Bible that someone reads. Yeah. And I think that's true for your children. Yeah. Your kids will equate the character of I'm not again, I don't want to put too much pressure on us, but they will equate the character of who Jesus is based on the life that you live. Right. As a parent. And and so help them read his character through you. Mm -hmm. as best you can obviously we're gonna fail and actually that helps <laughs> because it, because it, we'll talk about it later but when you admit to failure that helps them that helps them reinforce like oh my parents aren't perfect either um so we'll 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 visit that but one of the things i i think is so crucial too when we're talking about loving our kids and listen i'll be the first to tell you that i i've messed this up <laughs> yeah. um at times is that if we're not careful we can we can love them for their performance and the challenge for us needs to be that we love them in spite of their performance not because of their performance and so that is to say to say yes it's easy to show our kids affection when they're being obedient when they're 
when they're doing all the proper things, right? Maybe in school they're getting good grades. On a sports team, they're performing at a high level and we're like excited and we can show affection and love to them. That's easy. But if we're not careful, if that's the only time we're really showing them love and affection, they will they will almost like believe in their life that they're only worthy of love when they're performing at a certain level. Yeah. Whether that's morally, educationally, athletically, and that is the opposite of the gospel. Right. Right. You know, so Yeah, no, that's such a good point. And and because we see in the gospel that Jesus loves us so much when we were nothing, like when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, the Bible says, and he came and he pulled us out of that. And I feel like that is a real challenge for us to model as parents to our kids that, oh, even if you fail, even if you're bad at this, whatever, 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 we're still going to love you just as much and treat you just the same as if you were amazing at everything. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I Which mean, obviously no kid is, but... <laughs> one real small practical way you can do this is like when you when you pray over your kids, like we like to pray for our kids before they go to sleep, mm-hmm. like over their life. One of the things, actually, it's almost every day that I pray, I pray that, like I'm, I'm thinking of Sophia and Arabella, they're in different rooms, right? So I go to Bennett and Azariah at a different time, but I pray for Sophia and Arabella together. And one of the things I pray over them is, God, help them know how much you love them. Yeah. And that's whether they're having a good day or a bad day mm-hmm. it's in and, and and then even when we when we talk well because like we'll pray first corinthians ten thirty one, one of our favorite verses whether we eat or drink or whatever we do we do all for the glory of god we say look god help us to do the right thing because we know you love us and mm-hmm. i i know that that's for them that's like abstract that doesn't make sense but i want them to hear that so many times in their life that when they're old enough to understand their identity they'll be able to tie it back to the idea that God loves us period right there's right. No, no matter what there's no parenthesis yeah. he loves us period um, and and I think that we can model that sort of love by loving our kid even when they don't perform and when they don't do everything perfect yeah. um, so no, Chap so Clark much. he's uh, he's the author I mentioned earlier about or one of the authors um, he says this I love this he says parents our goal is is to see life as a whole connected adventure versus a frantic race from one expectation and agenda to another. Um, and and one of the things, I guess what he's trying to say is like, we, we, if we're not careful, we can build our, our child rearing, our raising our kids into everything is about performance. We've yeah. got to get to this next thing. We've got to get to this next practice. We may need to make sure we do our best. Those are not bad things, to do your best and to be places and to be prompt. But if we're not careful, we can turn how successful a day is based on how well we meet expectations. And, yeah. and, that, that, and so we've got to get to a place where we're able to love and care for our kids even when they're not meeting the marks that we create for them. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, that's so important. And I feel like that's such a, I don't know, can be a very difficult thing to do. It is. It's a lot harder. And I, like I told you, I'm, I, I say all this with, um, with, 
with the reality that I fail at it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so easy, so easy to love your kid when they're doing the right thing. Right. And so easy to be critical when they're doing the wrong thing. Right. But but we have to model Christ's love, the gospel love that, look, I loved you before you were doing the right thing. Yeah. I loved you even though you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. And I don't always do the right thing. So so I need to, to show the same love that I expect from Jesus to his love for me. So, right. And to, to model that before them. But yeah. yeah, no, that's so good. That's really good. And then, so then moving on to the next point. So just to recap, that was just showing our kids how much we love them and how much we love others by our lives. Yes. Then what is the next? So the, the next sec- point? this next one, um, just making the home a space where your kids can feel the goodness of God. Yeah. And um, I said, it was you that mentioned Psalm 127, right? Where it says, yeah, I that, love that passage. It's Except so good. <laughs> the Lord builds the house. It, it, the laborers, they, they labor in vain, right? And it's so good that you, you brought that up because it, it's a, it, you know, you, it's impossible to build a home that centers on the goodness of God if God is not the cornerstone of your your family, your foundation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, even just reading through that psalm, it, it, some people would take that literally or whatever, but obviously that means that God has to be the head of your home. God has to be the, the center of your home and he has to build your home with his characteristics. Yeah. And this isn't something that we can just sit back passively and let God do. We also have to be intentional about it. So if we, my dad growing up always used this example of these two houses and he always asked us, which house would you rather live in? Like one is the house of generosity and giving and everyone is always, um, I don't know, I guess it's filled with the characteristics of God and essentially like built by the Lord. And um, everyone in that house, their attitude is give, give, give and like constantly showing love and kindness and to other people. And everyone in that house is so joyful and at peace and they have everything they need because everyone is is sharing and being generous and kind and loving. And the other house is the house of selfishness where everyone is saying, give me, give me, give me. And no one is sharing. No one is um, showing like love to one another. And he would always say like, which house would you rather live in? Oh, and it's cool. always like the house that God built as opposed to the house, I don't know, in the world or whatever. Yeah. And I always saw that illustration was just so good because it, it really makes you think like being around people who are constantly showing you love and care and compassion like when you go out into the world i think often often for kids especially who are raised in loving homes like that they don't even know what it feels like to be in the other kind of environment but as soon as you leave that yeah. house and you go out into the world you can see the difference like yeah. i i was really blessed to grow up in a in a very loving christian home and like when i see i don't know the homes of some of my friends and um some of the other people in my life who didn't have that blessing that I had, I can just see like this huge difference and that illustration just really comes to life. And I'm like, that is the kind of home and that's the kind of environment I want to build for my kids as well, where it's literally like the house that God built. So I don't know. I just really like that. That I'm stealing that. Yeah. That is so good. (laughs) Your dad is a wise man. He has a lot of wisdom. But yeah, just making your house into a space where your kids can feel the goodness of God. Because even if, even if they don't see it now as kids, when they grow up and when they leave home, they're going to look back and they're going to be like, whoa, I could, I feel the goodness of God in my life and in my home. 
and maybe they don't feel it wherever they are in the world or whatever. Wow. So I don't know. I just think I just think that's a really cool illustration. That, um, that is that is wonderful. Um, and you know, it makes me too. It makes me think of, um, you know, we think about God as being, you know, like if He were to build a house, that's what it would look like. Like you said, love, joy, filled with generosity, right? Like the fruit of the I mean, spirit. That's His everything. literal character. Yeah, yeah. On display in your home. Um, we can also imitate the way that he uses, like he he used his words to create the world that we live in. Yeah. And according to him, when he made it, it was good. This is good. This right. is good. This is good. This is good. Then he used his word to create it. We, like you said, we have the choice what uh, world we allow our kids to live in. The one where it's our words build up, encourage, or they can destroy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so if God is the center of your home, then you're going to model his usage of words. And now obviously we're not going to do that perfect. Yeah. But, but oh man, that's I'm stealing that though. Yeah. I'm telling you, that, that I'm going <laughs> to no, go was, today and talk I, to my kids yeah, about it. I love it. That's and so especially, great. And especially when you look at um, like the house that God built and then the house that I guess the world builds or that Satan builds. And you can just see the difference because oh, yeah. Satan thrives and Satan loves it when there's chaos and yeah. tension and stress and anger and discontentment and all these things. And he wants those to rule in your house. So That's you true. have to like, it was kind of going back to what we said earlier about being intentional about like building your house, like with God at the center. So um, and I think one of the ways we can do this, which we're going to discuss a, a bit more later, I know, but like praying and praying for those things to not rule in your home and praying for God's peace and blessings to rule in your home means that we're we're not agreeing with what yeah. the devil wants or what Satan wants. And we're agreeing with what God wants and asking him to restore the peace and change our perspectives. And I feel like I feel like prayer is something that is so often like not undermined, but people just don't realize how much power there is in prayer. Oh, well, and I yeah. think when we kind of open our eyes and see that like it it makes such a huge, huge difference. And like, I don't know, just even in my own life, seeing seeing what prayer can do when you pray about a situation and then almost immediately seeing God like remedy it or not that he always does, but I don't know. I just think no, that I, was something I just wanted to highlight. You know, really I think in pictures and like seeing, think, hearing you talk about that, thinking about how your prayer, a life of prayer and praying praying against those things right god we don't want this to be a place of chaos we don't want right. this it's like you're putting up a shield right around your house you're, right. you're building a protective fence like a force field a force field <laughs> yeah um to protect the home that you you believe god is is wanting you to build so that's yeah that's yeah. so good yeah. so good yeah and then moving into the next point yeah i know we were talking about people being hip- hypocritical yeah <laughs> Um, I was sharing this with, even before we did this podcast, one of my favorite verses in scripture is 1 Timothy 4.16. And Paul is talking to Timothy, who's a pastor. He's supposed to be an example to his church. And he tells, he cautions him. He says, hey, keep a a close watch on your life Mm -hmm. and your teaching. Yeah. Right? So a lot of times people think of, you know, you think of a pastor. Oh, your job is to shepherd or to teach your congregation. Right. But the emphasis, the priority is first on your life. And I think the same is true in parenting, right? We can say, we can teach all the right things with our mouths, but if we don't back them up with our life, then our kids will never buy what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never. It, yeah, I was actually talking to a friend a while ago, and she was she was telling me, 
she kind of left the church for a while and walked away from it. And she said one of the main reasons was because every Sunday morning, their parents would get them up, get them ready for church. And the whole way to church, they would be like yelling at each other, screaming at each other, fighting, getting to church. They'd be worshiping Jesus. They'd put on this big Uh, show for everyone. And then it was the same thing, the way back home and the whole rest of the day and the week. And she was just saying it felt so fake and so... I don't know, just like yeah. not oh. genuine. And that, just that is what turned her away from the gospel and from wanting to be a Christian because she's like, what is the point if if it's not going to change how you are in your life? And I think so often, especially because with our, with our kids and with our families, we get very comfortable and we are, they are like our safe space. Like oh, if we yeah. get mad, yeah. it's very easy to yell. Like even with, even with Mason, like we would, if I get angry or upset with him, my husband, um, I don't know, I'm much more prone to like yell at him or, or get mad at him than I would be with a stranger, obviously, because yeah. I'm comfortable with him. And so I'm sure that would kind of go out into your life with your kids and stuff as well. But we have to remember that they there's constantly these little eyes and little ears that are watching us, listening to us, learning from us and imitating us. And if they see that that's the way we're behaving, they're not going to want anything to do with that. They're not going to want their lives to look like that in the future. So I don't know. It's just something that we have to be so careful of. And especially um, when I was kind of preparing for this podcast, I was looking up some statistics online and apparently hypocrisy in the church is listed as one of the top reasons, like the number one reason why teenagers leave the church and why kids who grow up in the church leave the church. And this view so often starts in the home yeah so that's just something that as as parents or as like for me who's gonna be a parent soon like i don't know it just is kind of scary to me like we have to be so careful and so watchful about how we act yeah i i i think i uh, as we're as we're talking about it one of the things that that because when we say hey don't be hypocrites um i don't know if you feel this way but i hear that and i'm like well that's a high standard. Yeah. It's a really high standard. It's really hard. And I, I, I want to differentiate between us saying for us to to model the faith um, that we're going to be perfect. There's going to be inconsistencies. Yeah. But I think like even with your friend, every family probably has car rides where there's arguments. And right. <laughs> but it's the fakeness. Yeah. It's the lack of vulnerability. Yeah. It's the lack and it's and obviously it's it's not owning your actions it's like right. treating christianity like compartmentalizing christianity when i'm when my christian version of myself is the polished you know like i think of the pharisees mm-hmm. whitewashed tombs pretty and pristine on the outside dead on the inside yeah we have to as parents cuz we're going to fail <laughs> we're going to fail at being the model of the christian faith to our kids at times it's in those moments, and I know we'll talk about this a little more, but it's in those moments you have to own them. Right. And you have to show the effort that you're you're trying to do the right thing. Because the, the definition of, of hypocr- hypocrisy is not saying one thing, doing the other. It's actually, it's actually being two-faced. Yeah. It's like putting on one face and putting on a different face. Yeah. And so I, I think hopefully that frees you a little bit. We're not saying you have to be perfect, but we are saying what we teach and what we try to model – needs to be consistent with what we how we live and when we don't mm-hmm. when we don't match up mm-hmm. 
we got to be the first. We got to own it. Yeah. <laughs> we got to own it quick. Because yeah. I think probably Absolutely. if, I mean, again, I can't speak for your friend, but if there was an effort and, and an intentional, I'd be like, look, we on the way to church, we blew it. Like when we were worshiping at church, our, like it was fake. And yeah. almost have those conversations. Like we blew it and maybe we can do better on the way home. Yeah. Yeah. But to pretend like there's nothing going on. Right, that, and then that, just ignore it and leave afterwards. It can really be detrimental. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and I think even just um, teaching our kids that the main thing, you were saying this earlier about, like, performance. Yeah. Um, but I think we can take that into when we when we take our kids to church or when we're around other Christians. I think a lot of children confuse Christianity and the gospel with just being like obedient to their parents and being yeah. um, compliant and they think that that's what their parents really want of them in like yeah. public settings and in church and stuff and they don't even realize that that's not the main thing you're concerned about yeah. or, or, i guess for some parents it is but that's not the main thing you should be concerned about it's yeah. um you want to be communicating to them that the thing you care about is the gospel and heart transformation and not just their behavior so I don't know. I just think that's something really important to highlight when we're talking about hypocrisy as well, because yeah. it can be very easy for kids to think that's all that their parents want from them and that's all that their parents care about. And then that's not what we want to, that's not what we want to get across. To it's them. so true. Yeah. Teaching. Yeah. Behavioral management is not our goal here. We're, we're trying to help you fall in love with Jesus and, and, uh, and so let, uh, helping uh, helping our kids understand that is so, so crucial. Right. So, so crucial. Right. So another uh, practical tip, uh, number five, is when you're parenting, don't parent your kids alone. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting, again, to refer back to Chap Clark, one of the things that and, and, he, and he and Karen Powell um, discovered in their research as writing the book Sticky Faith is that um, one of the most important ingredients for lasting faith in the life of your teenager is that you are not the only spiritual influence in their life, mm -hmm. right? And hear me when I say this. Absolutely, parents are the primary, most influential person in forming faith, right? Yeah. So, like, don't, don't, um, don't punt on that responsibility. Right. It is your, you know, like, you could, if you're not careful, use, use the, the church as the supplement to developing your kid's faith. Mm -hmm. Your it's your responsibility. Yeah. But that being said, I think you can swing you can swing the pendulum the other direction and say, look, I'm gonna be the like like the only <laughs> spiritual influence in my kid's life. I don't trust other people with helping my kid develop spiritually. That's just as poisonous, yeah. if not worse. I and so part of it and so we say all that to say, look, look, they've they've pretty much through research proven that the, the, the students whose faith lasts after their uh, last into their formidable years, it, they all, they all have this in common. There were multi-generational relationships in the church, mm -hmm. people that were on their team, so to speak, yeah. um, a youth pastor, a youth leader, a mentor, um, a coach that's a Christian, an FCA leader at their school, other people besides their parents that they have a relationship with that model the faith for them. And so I can't emphasize how important that is. Like, like, look, it sounds almost like 
I'm trying to plug student ministry in some ways. <laughs> like, listen, y'all don't realize how important it is. But but I'm being I'm being sincere in saying that it is that part of the reason I love student ministry and one of the things I celebrate about it is that we have all these adult leaders mm-hmm. who become the youth pastor for your kid, right? They show up to the the church and they're like, they see me, right? I'm the youth pastor, Stephen. They the first question they ask is, "Hey, where's Christy? <laughs> where's she at? Why? Because yeah. it's so important for our kids to have." godly examples outside of our the us their parents right um that they can look to and see the faith being lived out and that's that's another another practical step yeah Yeah, no that's so good and it's it i feel like can probably be a hard balance to get between knowing that you're the primary responsibility for your kids but also knowing that you need to involve other mentors and other adults in their life But I think if you can get that balance, it's going to help your kids a lot, like you said. And, and again, it almost sounds like both both ministries that I oversee at Grace are being highlighted here. But but the same could be say, said about small groups. And, and again, yeah. not, not that you're in this – it doesn't mean that you have to be in this traditional small group. But look, if you as parents don't have other parent – like other peers – that you are in relationship with, where are you going to find those models for your kids? Yeah. Like, for example, like we, if we have other families over for dinner that are Christians, that are like-minded, mm-hmm. or if I'm in the regular practice of being in a small group, a lot of times those, those people from your small group, they become that for your kids. They might go to a game, like one of your kids' games, because both your kids are on the same soccer team, and then you're there together. And so, so I guess it's like trying to live the Christian life and we talk about it all the time. Alone leads to isolation, and parenting in isolation is 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 not great. Right. <laughs> and right. so, try to find some good Christian people that you can surround your kids with as models. Yeah, that's so important. It's so important. Yeah, and then moving on to the next point, which we already kind of touched on earlier, is just prayer and oh, yeah. and realizing that, like we we did say this at the beginning, but just realizing that our children's salvation is something that we literally have zero control over. Zero. Faith is a gift from God. Yeah. And since only God can save them, I feel like prayer is an essential thing for us because we literally have this direct line of passage to God, to talk to the God who created the universe, who controls our lives, who loves our kids. Like if you read Psalm, I think it's Psalm 139, which talks about um, how he like formed us in our mother's wombs and he knit us together in the depths of the earth and like, all this stuff, like he knows your children and he, he loves knows. them so much more than we ever could. Um, and yet we have a, a this direct line to talk straight to him. And why would we not do that if yeah. we have that opportunity? So I just feel like that's something that is so, so, so vital. Yeah, um, I agree. Conversation. I think we are going to be shocked how much, like if in heaven we get to see how much prayer actually tip the scale so to speak mm-hmm. i think we're gonna be blown away yeah and i say all that to say like i i had i had i have been told there have been people who have prayed for me like my grandmother and others when when for example when my parents were going through divorce mm-hmm. and um there there was there was things in my life that in theory should have shipwrecked my faith yeah and find out later that i've got all these family members that are on their knees just pleading before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and in and and I think that when we're if if we're in when we're in heaven and we look at the results of our life, I think I think there might be like a a way maybe. I'm I'm obviously spitballing because I don't know, but I think we'll be blown away by how much prayer was the the, the tipping scale tip the scale for us. Yeah. And and I and I agree with you. It's so powerful. And and the and here's an interesting thing too. I heard this and this is so true. Um, I heard a mom say that when her kids were little, she prayed less mm-hmm. because she had more control, right? Yeah. You can control a little kid. Right. A lot of you, but as the kids grew older and more independent, she prayed more. Mm. She spent more time praying than she did, quote, parenting, yeah. right? Like, because, because I mean, maybe that's not necessarily, but you get the picture. Right, and, right. And it's so powerful. So, so, so important. Yeah. No, that. That is such a such a good point and such an important one to remember. Absolutely. Yeah. And then moving on to the next point. Um, <laughs> I, this is this point is probably one of my favorites because yeah. I mean we're literally talking on the joy factor. So I think the principle of being happy or yeah. being joyful um, is such an important thing for our kids to see in our life. And we we spoke about love earlier and the importance of sharing our kids love and showing like demonstrating love to the people around us and watching our kids and letting our kids see us model that. And I mean, joy is the second fruit yeah. of the spirit. And I think it's just as important that they see us model that. Um, Absolutely. And- I mean, who? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, we of all people in the world should, should have joy and hope and, and, and happiness because right. we're, we're following we're following God, and so right. if, our, if our kids don't see that, um, then then what are they? It's like if we're looking miserable all the time. It's like so. What is what what benefit is the faith? Right, <laughs> and I mean of like you were saying, like of all people in the world, Christians are the ones who have this hope in the gospel and this freedom that we can look forward to, and no matter what we're going through in our life, we know that we have this hope of heaven. And if we're teaching our kids all this stuff, but then we're always grumpy or grouchy or whatever, um, that's not a very good example to them of what it's supposed to be like to be a Christian because we are supposed to be so filled with joy and with love. And um, I think that modeling a life for our kids, that following following Christ, although it will often be marked by suffering, is not going, being a Christian is not just going to be an unhappy or dutiful lifestyle. And I think we can make the gospel more desirable to our children by showing them the joy that we have in Christ. So, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that that's so true, right? Like, it's not just, like, like just having that shift of, 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 the difference between rule, like following a rule and doing what's best for you. God's rules lead to joy, like mm-hmm. you said. It, 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 it's And so modeling that. Look, when you live for Christ, it's a joyful life. Yeah. yeah, there's hardship. Yeah, there's, I mean, you know, the Bible even promises suffering and hardship and, mm-hmm. and sometimes being misunderstood and hated just because we're Christians. But having joy in the midst of that is because it's like choosing to follow Christ is is really the best option for yeah. your life. It's the best life for you. Yeah, absolutely. So that's so, so true. Absolutely. Yeah, and then, so that was point seven, yeah, was joy. Yeah. <laughs> then moving on to point eight. 
what what's point eight? Point eight is discipline, right? And um, that's a hard one. <laughs> it's always fun explaining discipline to kids. <laughs> yeah. You know, looking at your kid and saying, "Look, because I love you, I discipline you," mm-hmm. right? And um, there's so many scriptures, right? We talk about. Proverbs thirteen thirty four, um, reproof gives wisdom. A child left to himself brings. Actually, that's Proverbs 20, 19, uh, 29, 9, 29, 15. Um, but but even the other one that I mentioned thirteen thirty four is just if you love your kid, you will di- you'll be diligent to discipline them. Right. Mm-hmm. I was actually explaining this to um, one of my friend's sons the the other day. Um, my friend, I won't mention who it is, but he he adopted. Uh, a teenage boy yeah. and this teenage boy before being adopted he he had um, all these freedoms mm-hmm. but they were in part in taking in in participating in the, the liberties he had as a kid that parents were not involved and that's why he ended mm-hmm. up being adopted um, he was hurting his life and <laughs> destroying his life yeah. and so then he found himself in this loving caring home where there were a lot more rules there was a lot more discipline and he was like he was telling me he's like man my parents they they don't love me man they don't let me do all this stuff and i was like actually <laughs> that shows that they, <laughs> they do, love, do you. love you because <laughs> yeah. they're not letting you do those things yeah. and i i was unpacking uh listen if they just let you live the way you live or the way you lived before that would be that would not be love to you. That would that would be hate. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's so true and so important. And I think we have to also make sure we have the balance between disciplining our disciplining our kids and making sure that um, they know that there are boundaries. And oh, yeah. because that that does create like a safe environment for them if they know. Oh, I just can't do anything I want to do. Yeah. Um, but also not deliberately provoking them. And I know there's yes. so many verses. Uh, there's Ephesians 6, 4, there's Colossians 3, 21. I know there's others that talk about how important it is to um, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord without provoking them and without angering them. And um, I know Colossians gives the warning that if you do provoke them, they'll become discouraged and like yeah. discouraged in their faith and discouraged in their home. And that is not what we want when we talk about discipline. Yeah. And I think, I guess only... Only you as a parent can know like how far that is for your kids. But I think, I just think that a lot of parents go way too far with discipline sometimes. And it does lead to deliberately provoking their kids and just leaving oh, their kids sure. feeling angry and irritated and like they've been wronged. And that is not, that's not the thoughts you want to leave them with after no, they've been disciplined. No. So. I mean, it, as you say that, it's like discipline itself. It, it should be, our discipline of our kids should be a model of Christ and God's discipline of us. Yeah. And I, I literally get emotional when I think about the way that God disciplines his children. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I, I'm just speaking vulnerable here, but when, you know, when we sin and we blow it. Yeah. Just think about, just think about the tender mercy that we experience yes of course we feel conviction it's not fun to feel conviction it's not fun to face consequences but the fact that god is there open arms he still disciplines us it says that he loved because he loves us he disciplines us but his discipline is like it is loving mm-hmm. and 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 there's a big difference like i'm so glad he doesn't 
<laughs> discipline us <laughs> in wrath and anger. And I get it. Yes, God does have wrath. But if you see over like God, like so much through the Psalms, David talking about, oh my goodness, your your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Yeah. Oh, oh and, and oh God, when I come to you broken and contrite, you don't reject me. Mm-hmm. You accept me. Mm-hmm. We need to model that in our discipline for our kids. Yeah. Like, we just have to. Yeah, yeah. And I know there's that passage in the New Testament. I honestly, I have no idea where it is. But it talks about how God does not punish us according to what our sins deserve. Oh, and yeah. And how I, I love that passage so much. But um, not saying that we shouldn't discipline our children according oh, to no, what they yeah. deserve. But I think, I also think that something important to say with this is, when we discipline our kids, also taking accountability for what we do wrong um, and showing them that we can take accountability for what we do wrong because I think oftentimes parents are very quick to discipline or punish their children for something and then they go do something very similar and their kids see it and they see that their parents are not taking accountability and that is something that is so difficult to do but so important. Like... Yeah, I don't know. There's so many examples that I can sure. think of even in my own life just to like, I'll get up and I don't even have kids yet, but even just with like Mason, I'll get up, upset with him for doing something and then I'll go do the exact same thing and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay, I need to get that in check. Uh, no, and you're, you're absolutely right. We, as parents, like even like something like our temper, we get mad at our kids for the way that, like I know this is true of my life, right? Mm-hmm. I get mad at the way that my kids react to something and then I'm like, but but how am I reacting when they're disobeying? Yeah. It's not wrong for me to discipline them. Yeah. But if I'm flying off the handle and I'm telling them not to fly off the handle. Right. <laughs> hey, be slow to anger. Right. And I'm not. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah. So you've got to definitely, part of the discipline is also, like you said, taking responsibility for the times that you're not, which actually I think it leads into our next one, right? Is, yeah. As we're parenting our kids, we have to be humble and willing to apologize. Yeah. Look. Parents, I'm talking to myself to you here too. You have to be in the practice of apologizing to your kids mm-hmm. when you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, probably this happens more in my life, for example, where I am doing the the right thing with the wrong tone with my kids, and I'm disciplining them for something they need to be disciplined for, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe I go about it in the wrong manner. As I'm asking them to apologize for disobedience, I also am having to apologize for the way I handled it. Right. My kids have heard me ask forgiveness. Probably, I probably should ask forgiveness more than I do, but they've asked me. They've they've heard me ask for forgiveness a lot. And that's a hard thing to do. I it feel is. like it's in, so in life in general, but then I feel like pr- probably especially to your kids because you don't have, like there's no one forcing you. You're yeah, the no parent. One, yeah, no, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're the parent. You don't have to go to your kids and be like, hey, I, I did this wrong. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive yeah. me? And just sometimes like swallowing your pride and saying those words is so, so important, but it can be so difficult. So, but yeah. yeah, so important as well. Yeah. And I think, so our next point is worshiping together. Yep. (laughs) We're almost there. Um, Worshiping together. Oh, yeah. And I think that family worship times and like family Bible reading times are often 
very overlooked by Christians. Yeah. And um, I don't think it's something that we have to be legalistic about and be like every morning at 6 a.m. before yeah. they go to school, sit down and read the Bible or whatever. But I think if we do set aside designated times where we come together and we talk about God, I think that can just be so valuable and so faith building yeah. for our kids because it's hard for kids to read the Bible by themselves. Super and, hard, yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of big words and, I don't know, things that they don't understand. And I think if, as parents, we can sit down and work through that with our kids, I don't know, that's something that when we have kids, I really want to try and make that a priority. I mean, I know that can be really difficult to do, but... <clears throat> no, you're so not important. You're not wrong. I, I, is, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a challenge. We all live really, really busy lives, but if you can... Like, it, yeah, it, setting aside that time is so crucial because if you don't set it aside, it won't happen. Yeah. It won't happen. Yeah. Um, and so if it's um, if it's a meal, it's like, look, if you, you're you like, oh, well, we don't have any times where we're all together. Well, maybe something in your, sh- your schedule needs to change then. Yeah. I mean, honestly. I, I And I'm, I'm guilty of that too. It's like there's weeks where you go and you're like, wow, we didn't really have any where it was just all of us together doing something together yeah um and so yeah you can't i i agree with you you i can't overemphasize the importance and it is overlooked but mm-hmm. of of the even if it's not super long or super cumbersome mm-hmm. having time where you together worship god where you go in a circle and praise the lord for something in your life where you you spend time not just praying over a meal or like thank you for the food but like hey what let's pray about what we're thankful for yeah or how can we help somebody yeah. like um and then spending time reading God's word together. Because um, like you said, even as Ryan had my example earlier, as he was sitting there looking at his Bible, he wasn't learning anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was, he, yeah, he, was, he wasn't learning anything. So I have to teach, I have to teach him if he's going to learn it. Yeah. And I think remembering that as their parents and as their, yeah, as their parents, we are their spiritual leaders, their yeah. first primary point. And that is a responsibility that we should not take lightly. And I think that, like you said, if you have to change your schedule for that, or um, I don't know, whatever works for you to incorporate Jesus into your daily lifestyle with your kids. Like there's so many ways you can do it. Like you said, you pray with your girls before they go to bed. Maybe you pray and I don't know, read with them or like do a devotional book before they go to school or whatever. Like it, I don't know. I just think it's something that as parents we should be doing or trying to do yeah i mean a a real practical one again my kids are little so this may not work for you but um my kids are chatterboxes if you spend any time with us it's just (laughs) so we do family devotion um and we don't do it every day i'll be the first to tell you sometimes we don't do it every week like there's there's weeks where we're like oh wow we didn't do any of that you know yeah um but we like to do it at dinner and it's usually when the kids are eating because their mouths are full of food. <laughs> and so we can actually talk to them. And then you'd be shocked if you ask questions because you're like, there's no way they're getting any of this. And then you ask them questions and you're like, oh, dang, they actually did listen. Yeah, <laughs> like they actually they, did take some of that in. <laughs> they, took, they took that in. So so don't undermine the effectiveness of it. Don't just because, you know, because it's chaotic or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think that that whole like incorporating Jesus into your lifestyle kind of leads us into the last point yeah. which is just upholding kind of basic standards of everyday holiness and oh, like yeah. and godliness and trying to pursue God in your life and I don't know taking time to actually reflect on 
the behaviors in your house, the attitudes in your house, and how that's affected by different forms of media. Like we yeah. live in such a, um, I don't know, our world and our lifestyles are so centered around technology and around the TV and around iPads and around your phone and around all this stuff. And there can be so many influences coming into your house that you're not even aware of um, through all those through all those things. And I think taking time to actually like reflect on that and seeing what what is honoring to God, what's not honoring to God, what should be coming in, what shouldn't, and setting up boundaries for that so is crucial. so important. Um, and I think sometimes so we, we don't know. Like sometimes it can be difficult to know like, oh, is this okay? Isn't this okay? And I think obviously like, praying for wisdom about that but also just asking like what would jesus do <laughs> like that's the typical wwjd like sure? everyone says but like honestly just thinking like what would jesus do in this situation if jesus was here with me physically would i be okay with this stuff going on in my house like how would jesus respond to this situation and those can be really clarifying thoughts yeah. and it can also be really difficult especially just with our with our culture because things are so normalized for our kids that are so not what God would want so from us. Um, and again, it comes it comes back down to you're the parent, you're the responsible one, you're the spirit, you should be the spiritual leader of your home. Like you have to make those decisions for your kids because kids do not have the, I don't know, the willpower they, often. They don't even have to, the cognitive development. To, right? I mean, like they're literally not developed enough in their brain to make those decisions. Right, and sometimes you have to be the bad guy or whatever yep. to your yeah. kids and you just have to deal with that. Um, yeah. Oh, like I, I think, uh, I, you know, a, a lot of times I think in pictures, but like, you know, Sunday mornings we have children's check-in and mm -hmm. not just anybody can stroll up into the children's ministry wing. Yeah. Right. We set up security checkpoint. Right. Parents, we are the security checkpoint for what content and media is getting in our kids' minds. Yeah. And if we, like you said, if we're, we, we have to be mindful, we have to be the gatekeeper. I mean, it, it, and some people are like, oh, that's legalism. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Legalism is teaching that all these things are evil. Being the gatekeeper is, look, is knowing where your kid is at developmentally, where they are at, um, and, and knowing that what they listen to, what they see, what they experience, it's going to impact their thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And and so you, you are, uh, like, I think... Ezekiel chapter 33, when, when God, and chapter 3, God tells Ezekiel that he is the watchman. He stands on the tower looking for the coming um, problems. And if he does, he's the one that warns the nation of Israel about, about the coming dangers. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't, it is, the blood is on his hands for the bloodshed. Right. Because he didn't warn the people. He didn't let them know of the danger that was coming. Right. Parents, we are the watchmen. We're the watch ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. You know, yeah. we, but we have to do that. We have to protect our kids and and uphold a, a standard of holiness. And then we have to live by it. Mm -hmm. We can't, again, it goes back to the hypocrisy thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's like, look, if this stuff is not, I mean, I get it. Cognitively, you have to, like, at certain ages, certain things aren't appropriate, right? And then maybe as an adult, you have the Christian liberties to, to invite in some other things but there are there's just some content that's just straight up evil yeah and we shouldn't be entertaining ourselves with it either yeah because because if we're not careful we're, we're setting the standard of hypocrisy yeah. our kids will see hey you you do that you watch this or you look at this or whatever and it's like no i i shouldn't i have a rule like 
I try not to see movies that I wouldn't let teenagers in our youth group see. Like, I try my best. If I feel like this movie, because then when they ask me, have you seen this movie? And I say no, and I give a reason. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not, le- it could, I get it. It could be technically legalistic if we're not careful. But for me, I'm like, no, I didn't see it because there's some things in the movie. I know there's things in the movie yeah. that, that are a compromise for me from a standard of holiness. Right. And I think setting those standards for yourself of, like, for you coming up with, with that idea, like, if I wouldn't let the kids in the youth group see it, I'm not going to see it. That is so helpful because it can be so easy to, like, I don't know, read the ratings of a show or a yeah, movie or whatever and yeah. be like, oh, well, there's only, like, a couple of things in here that I wouldn't want them yeah. to see. So it's fine. Like, I'll just do it. But if you have that standard, then you can go back and be like, would I let them see it? Nope. Okay. Not watching it. not going to watch it. Yeah. Like, because, I don't know, for me, the movies and shows that, that I enjoy, it can be so hard to be like, oh, is this is this too much? Like, should I be watching this or not? And kind of coming out with, with that discernment without having any boundaries or standards is is really difficult. So sure. I feel like that's something I need to implement into my life as and well. And that could that could be <laughs> a whole other podcast yeah. episode. But but <laughs> yeah, sorry, you can't open to that up. No, <laughs> but no. yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're yeah. absolutely right. So that was our 11th point. So just to go back and quickly recap each yeah, point. Yeah. We have number one was modeling God's truth to your kids. Yeah. Number two was showing your kids how much you love them and others by your life. Number three was creating a space in your home, making your home into a space where your kids feel the goodness of God. Mm. Number four was don't be a hypocrite. (laughs) Um, Number five was don't parent your kids alone. Number six was prayer. Number seven was being happy and joyful. Number eight was discipline. Number nine was being humble and willing to apologize. Number 10 was family worship. And number 11 was just upholding standards of everyday holiness in your homes and lives. Yeah. So, yeah, I really hope that was helpful to um, anyone listening. I know it's been helpful to me, like even just thinking about our baby coming soon and like the future. Yeah, I'm so excited. But um, like thinking through all these things, I think is just so, so good and so helpful. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks Steven, for, for being on the podcast. Let me have and, this opportunity to chat. It's yeah, been, it's been real. Yeah, no, that was awesome. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. We pray that it helped or encouraged you in some way and just brought so much joy to your day today. You're going to want to make sure that you're subscribed to The Joy Factor so that you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy any of our episodes, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening so that we can more easily reach others with the joy that we have. Thank you so much and have an amazing day. Bye.